Hola, this is Dr. Jorge. And I'm Nando. You're listening to Science Cafecito. Science Cafecito is a podcast about local science issues in South Florida. And this show is brought to you with the support of the Awesome Foundation. How are you doing today, Nando? I'm all right. Pretty good, thanks. Yeah. Do you have your coffee yet? Absolutely. Every morning, hot Cuban coffee. Good. You know what the key thing about coffee is? The key ingredient other than coffee, of course? Well, if it's Cuban coffee, it's got to be the sugar. Oh, some people would argue that, but without water, we wouldn't have coffee. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's, that's how you make it, right? How does the coffee make you feel? Um, it kind of rescues me. It brings me up. You know, it's funny because that's, that's my routine in the morning is putting the water in the cafetera and the coffee on top and just the sound of the water that percolates and then it's when it's going too long and it's ready. Yeah, come to think of it. A lot of people have studied how coffee makes us feel, but now that you mentioned that about water, water also makes us feel things, right? And you actually have a friend that does that for a living, right? I certainly do. Yeah, he's uh, a guy named Jay Nichols and he studies turtles. That's what I study. And we've known each other for at least 10 years. And Jay does some really cool research looking at neuroscience and how water affects the body. So I guess that's what I'm feeling every morning with my cafecito, right? There's, there's, there's coffee, but there's also water. Plus, you're surrounded by water here in South Florida, right? Yeah, that's why I live here. So, you know me, Nando, you know I'm a storyteller. So something that captivated me about Jay's um, story is the fact that he uses the personal, the close and personal, to bring attention to the causes that he's defending. And in particular, it's very interesting how he talks about those personal connections with water. We all have a personal story, and we definitely all have a personal story with water. We've all encountered water for the first time. We've all done things around water. What is your personal story with water? Well, I was actually first very scared of the water. I grew up in Sydney in Australia, so it was probably my parents' connection to water that drove mine. But in Sydney, there's a very cold, deep harbor and we would go sailing all the time. And I remember, and I still do this, staring into the deep water and getting scared. Not about sharks, not about anything that'll bite me, but just the depths, the amount of water underneath us. I got that feeling again, I was on the Cayman Trench, the deepest part of the Caribbean. Then slowly I dedicated myself to marine conservation and that fear has gone away. At first it was fear and now it's love. The fear engendered respect for the ocean, which then turned into a mission that I've had my entire career to protect the ocean. How do you go from one to the other? Experimentation. You get in, nothing happens. You get in again, nothing happens. You start to feel the real benefits, right? Cools you off, it's, it's quiet. Now I like to go underwater more than anything because that's, that's real tranquility. There's so much going on all this behavior, fish and everything swaying back and forth, but it's quiet. Well, I guess that then we're lucky that the first time that you got in the water, you weren't stunned with jellyfish. But you're from Spain and you study planets. So what's your connection to water? Well, my connection to water goes to well before I started studying planets. Um, I grew up around the, the Mediterranean Sea but I was more towards the mountainside in Catalonia. So I've never been a person that were deeply in love with the ocean. Thinking about the mountains, I realized that the space that would always draw me would be the river. In a way, I love the sound of the river, cold water that's just like flowing. 
And when I think about my connection with water is, is through rivers. I live here in, in South Florida, I live in Miami, and I rarely go to the beach. And when I go somewhere to the mountains, I'm looking for a river like crazy. You know, it's kind of the power of, of Jay Nichols' story of Blue Mind. It's not just the ocean, it's any water. It's a teaspoon of water. It's a river. Um, it's the bathtub. Any kind of water, any kind of exposure to water can have the same effect. And we all agree that just looking at water, looking at rain, looking at a photo of rain, looking at a photo of water can have that transformative experience. It's that power, that universal power. Well, we made out of it. And Jay, Jay actually wrote a book, right? He did. It's called Blue Mind. It's a New York Times bestseller. And it's a study of how water um, wets our creativity, how water can lead to human health. Um, he's looked at ways that you can actually measure the cognitive value of water on creativity. Water is health. Water is creativity. Water is what we've been in since we were babies and what we depend on throughout our life. And I think we were lucky enough to spend some time with him the other day. Sure were. Uh, so let's hear to what Jay had to say. Yep. My name is Jay Nichols, I'm a marine biologist. So, if you were to explain in a kind of elevator's pitch, what does water mean to you? If you took the, um, the water moments out of my life, my life would be vastly diminished. The best days, the best minutes, the best moments of my life, including yesterday, uh, are in the water. Swimming off of Miami Beach with my daughter, uh, I can look at my entire life through that lens and say, you know, learning to swim with my dad, riding on his back, uh, doing, my, doing my first dive, um, going down a, a wild river, uh, a bath when you need it to relax, uh, all, all of that. So some of the best parts of my life uh, are my emotional connection with water. Um, as scientists, as, as ocean communicators and lake river communicators and advocates, we don't talk about that well. We don't know how to. And so that's really, from that personal experience and then talking to people like you and, and there's nods and there's, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, me too, and, and more, I realize that that's, that's a, there's a big gap. <laughs> so that's, that's one of the, of the reasons behind your book and that's yeah. the, one of the reasons behind your research water is no longer a matter of just like marine biology right. all of a sudden water can be explored with the guidebook of other scientific right. fields to tell a greater story what moves you in the direction of being, bringing neuro, neuroscientists mm -hmm. into the conversation and looking at water as this greater force that have like all those effects in us as, as human beings. So I think the, the place, place where I usually begin any project is in, in the realm of the practical and the real world. So in the case of sea turtles in Baja, well, you go and knock on the door of the turtle hunters and you would ask them to kill fewer turtles and they would say, sure. Like that's in the, your dream world, right? Um, institutionally, you're not encouraged to do that in any way, shape, or form. Actually, encouraged to not talk to fishermen at all, let alone illegal poachers. Um, so, same thing with blue mines. Like, so, in the in the perfect world, 
what what would you do? I'd get the best neuroscientists in the world together with the best water scientists and practitioners. We get in a room and we talk about cool questions, and then we start to answer those questions. Why is that such a no-no? At least in the yeah. science field, why is that so bad? Well, it's every field. Every field has their their gatekeepers, their rule book, their lingo, their jargon, their institutions, their big funders, their um, elitism. The, yeah, some in some way, shape, or form. In in academia, they're called the ivory tower, um, but it's in every it's in every field. And I think when you when you look at, at marine science in particular, we the syndrome that we we suffer from is that the problem, in, in, the issue is so big, it's the ocean. 71% of the planet, the biggest feature of our planet is the water. Um, there's a crisis, we hear that every single minute of every day. So it's the biggest part of our planet and it's in trouble. But at the same time, your findings uh, enhance and improve, in a way, the reasons why we need to care about oh, yeah. the water. Yeah. So can you discuss a little bit your findings yeah. when, when you look at water from, from those uh, points of view? Yeah, so we, our story right now about the ocean, the one we've repeated since, at least since the 80s, in every documentary, every report, every beautiful keynote by our leading voices, is something like the, you know, the ocean is valuable because it's 71% of the planet, it gives us jobs, it gives us food, it regulates you know, climate, weather, um, and uh, it gives us oxygen. That's kind of the quick mantra. Um, that is so boring, <laughs> really. We, it, we figured out how to make the ocean boring in 30 <laughs> seconds, and then we repeat it. It's not working, uh, clearly. Um, where people live is the emotional connection. The first thing that you, you learn about the ocean is when you see it for the first time, and you go, holy crap, that's awesome, I'm small, I'm humble, or you get whopped by a wave, or you go underwater, you, you, know, you look around, you put a mask or goggles on and you get to see a fish. Um, you take your honey there and it's romantic, just like magic, it's magically romantic. That's, how, that's where we live. We never talk about that stuff. And so what we've found is when, when you survey people, when you talk to psychologists, when you talk to neuroscientists about what we very dryly refer to as blue space, which is a phrase means water, you find that these things actually, they're real. They make a real neurochemical response inside of our, our brains and our bodies, and they're, they're good. So now we can talk about it, and, and the neuroscience literally is the hardest science in the room. And like you, you said, if we get the language right for our advocacy and our conservation organizations, it's like Red Bull for, for our movement and for funding. If we can crack that code and, and, and you know, add that part of the conversation to, to our justification. So it's, we talk about ecology, we talk about economics, we talk about education. I think you touched on something really interesting, which is the fact that neuroscience opens this great door because of the kind of research that is being done. And you mentioned astrophysics. Um, something that I'm aware of is that just like astronomy and astrophysics, neuroscience is very tied to the technology that is available to neuroscientists yeah. to do their research. Of course, it's very complicated, it's very complex to look at the brain with the necessary pre precision mm -hmm. to have like resolutions both in time and space as, as we look at it. 
Um, so it's really interesting what you're saying because in a way what I, what I deduce is that this, this is only going to improve. The mm -hmm. understanding of how our brain is affected by water and these, these topics is only going to improve as this technology improves as right. well. Yeah, as we, we're really at the, in the early stages of understanding our own brains. So that, you know, the science is young. As you mentioned, the technology is relatively new in the big scheme of things. EEGs and fMRIs and other technologies that are used to look at our brains, they're, they're relatively recent. So in order to really understand the world around us, it helps if we understand our, the system that we have, our neurological system, that allows us to perceive the world and, or misperceive the world. Uh, and so that's your entire nervous system, all of your senses in, you know, in, in the, the center hub, which is your brain, that makes sense of the world around us. So as, as you teach people, kids, adults, about uh, what's going on with the ocean, I think if we marry that with how the, the science of how the ocean makes us feel, it becomes so much more relevant. It's not an abstract conversation about climate change scenarios or biodiversity on a global scale. It's me. And then that starts to connect to us in a, in a really, I think, I think it's a transformative conversation. Uh, and that's why I'm all in on, on this work um, to, you know, to, the, uh, to the cost of other things I have been interested in in the past. Uh, I've, I've shifted my, my attention and my time budget to, to really focus on this. Um, you know, I work on sea turtles a lot too. Mm -hmm. Seems kind of funny, you know, sea turtle biologist talking about neuroscience. Uh, but when we go to a turtle beach and, and hang out with volunteers, many of them, not all of them, are having life-changing experiences that they then take home yeah. and put into play in their homes, in their schools, in their businesses, in their community. They become leaders. They become the unstoppable change agent within their, their company. Um, they're the ones who get the recycling program started. But it may have begin, begun with the baby turtle in their hand in South America and Central America and Mexico and Florida. Maybe. And that, I want to understand that more uh, and harness it and talk about it as a way to justify our sea turtle conservation volunteer programs to fund them so they continue, but also to make, make the world better. And if we, we understand the science of awe and wonder mm -hmm. and how that flips people's switch in a way that it can never be switched back. Wow, that's, that's amazing. So, of course, we are in Miami, we're in mm -hmm. South Florida. We're surrounded by water. Uh, water comes from every side. Uh, it comes sometimes even from the bottom up. <laughs> yeah. So, how, how important a place like South Florida, like Miami, might be to the kind of research that you're doing. Um, yeah, you told a story of, you know, about living in Sydney and being afraid of the deep, the deep dark blue ocean. Uh, and that, that's real. So, dif you know, different people have, have different sets of experiences. You know, growing up in Miami, your relationship to water, maybe a love-hate relationship. Um, I tend to focus on, on, on the positive attributes because they get less press. We usually hear about the bad news first. That's what sells newspapers. Uh, that's what you hear on, on cable news. It's always the conflict. Um, you rarely hear about the positive benefits of, 
of, of healthier waterways on the news. So I, I try to steer my time towards those. Understanding that there's, <laughs> there's bad news too, of course. So what brings you to Miami? What are you trying to shake up here in Miami or yeah, what kind well, of questions? I, I think well, a couple of things. Um, so your point that this is a very watery city, uh, a very blue-minded city, whether people realize it or not, that's, that's part of it. Uh, I think that makes Miami just by its nature, being such an international city, uh, makes it a great place to spread the word uh, about the true value of healthy waterways and oceans. But the next level is reaching all the Spanish speakers in the world. So really taking Blue Mind and translating it into Spanish. So I'm, I'm hoping my publisher will get on it and get that moving so we can announce that or in fact release the Spanish version or at least say it's coming. Uh, and to translate, you know, translating science in, into understandable language and into every language is, is part of our, part of our, our work. Uh, and so it makes sense you know, to, to hold Blue Mind 8 here. That's actually a really good point. Something that I feel myself is that as science communicators, um, we need to make that effort because science does not speak any language in particular. Right. Science is universal. If you want to use, if you want to identify the language of science, that would be math. And math speaks English, Spanish, Chinese, Japanese. It's universal. Everyone can relate to those equations. Everyone can relate the way math is written. So it's really important that science stay open. A lot of times you realize that those communities that have the least information might be sometimes because they don't speak English. Right. And English, in a way, um, is the most spoken language when they're talking about science. Yeah. But then we need that effort. It's okay to have that language among scientists mm -hmm. to, ar to argue, to have discussions among themselves. But then I think as scientists, we have the responsibility to go back to our communities, to go back to our right. countries and disperse that information in a language that our colleagues will understand. Right. Can, can you share like an example of a, of a human story in which water has had a great impact on, on a someone? Yeah, so we, uh, last night we had uh, uh, Jim Ritterhoff with us, and um, he, he represents uh, a, uh, a group called Force Blue, and they're a, a, a group of, of veterans, um, special ops, special operators, uh, highly skilled uh, veterans who have aquatic training. And uh, the idea of Force Blue is to, to harness that training, that expertise, as a force for conservation and restoration. In particular, the first project is coral reef restoration. But the added benefit, not only to the coral reef in the ocean, is to these, this group of seven men themselves. Uh, many of them have severe post-traumatic stress and all, all kinds of other issues that make life in our society challenging. But they're developing the relationship with the water um, bringing their families and with that has helped, I'd say all of them, in tangible ways that they, they could describe, describe much more clearly than, than I will right now. Speaking of Nando, guess who I called the other day? Jim Ritterhoff. Of course you know. We had Jim Ritterhoff at our Blue Mind conference, and he spoke a bit about Force Blue, but here he is speaking a little more about the concept and how he's engaging vets 
in coastal restoration. It seemed like such a logical idea on paper to take these highly skilled and highly trained special operations combat veterans whom governments had already invested millions of dollars in to make the best possible underwater operators and give them a new mission, retrain them to do conservation and environmental work. But what I don't think any of us really understood going in is just how much being back in the water as a team would mean to these guys, how, how healing that whole process would be. We like to think of Force Blue as a mission therapy program, and the mission are these conservation and environmental um, deployments that we go on. But, but water is really the medicine, and it's what holds everything together. Um, the healing aspect of it, what these guys derive from it, um, is, is something that I think has been, has been a really amazing, um, you know, just understanding for all of us. And that's, so that's just, you know, maybe a, a, a small, small group example. Um, but finding your, finding your purpose, your mission, your place of service in something that is so much bigger than us, that's one piece of it. You're having a bad day and you take a walk on the beach, I guarantee the day's going to get better. <laughs> and that, that has no side effects. It's free uh, if you can get, even if you can get there. And I, I have my own experience with that. You know, I, I know when I get out of the water after any activity, like the first email I send is going to be uh, direct, clear, kind, empathetic, really, really, really nice, simple message because that's where my, my brain is. At the end of the day, when you're running out of time and you're just in red mind, maybe those emails are a little more terse, a little, a little more rude, poorly constructed, and then cause a little bit, a little bit of conflict that's not necessary. So Nando, how are dairies like to bring neuroscience and water together? Well, I don't think it's been done before, and they're not exactly two fields of science that particularly get along or, or have much experience collaborating together. But that's the fun of it, I think. I think a lot of people are afraid of change. Absolutely. It's like the ivory tower. Yeah. And we always resist it. It's kind of like we don't want our kids to be on the iPad so much, and our parents didn't want us to play video games so much. Oh, yeah, I remember that. They, they, we all think that the way we grew up is the best way. Yeah, so what's to say that maybe uh, men mental health practitioners will all of a sudden consider water therapy for people that, that need help. That's changed. And will it work? Is it, is it a waste of my time? I think at the end of the day, what matters is that this is approached with the necessary seriousness that any scientific research project requires. Uh, at the end of the day, science is about the process of science and how you tackle that challenge. If this is done in a rigorous way, whether it's useful or not in the end, we'll know for sure why that is. And I think that's key. Yeah, and it's what I really enjoyed about his book the most. There were a lot of studies cited that really showed up front how, how this water uh, benefit could be tracked, could be shown through uh, cognitive science. 
uh, and I think that provided the evidence that made me satisfied. You know, I, I see water, I feel the effect of water on me, I know it. Uh, I meditate to the water when, I, when I'm stressed out. But um, to see it... I mean, I me too. Like, I go to the beach in Miami, I get there, and I'm like calm, I'm happy. I'm the happiest person in South Florida. Yeah. Then I get in the car and it's all over. Yeah. <laughs> so being in South Florida and being in Miami, of course, Science Cafecito is going to talk about water in different episodes. We're going to talk about the water that's around us, the water that comes from the sky, the water that we're trying to look for in other planets. But uh, I find it interesting that we were talking today about water in a way that not many of our listeners would think about. I agree. And, and taking a neuroscientist approach to water, right, a psychologist approach to water, it's pretty novel. You think the two wouldn't, wouldn't have to do with each other. But what Jay's doing with Blue Mind really is exciting. I think it's getting people to understand and not take for granted the water, to understand what it does for us, that it's right there. You could essentially turn on your tap if you need some ideas and, and let water work for you. And that applies to all of us. There are all kinds of ways that water can help, but also to help the environment, to help water, using water to help water. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that's all for today, right, Nando? We got to get back to, I was going to say back to work, but... Let's have a cafecito. Let's have a cafecito. That's our show for today. Thank you, everyone listening at home. And thank you, Jay Nichols, for spending some time with us. And of course, thank you, Nando. And thank you, Dr. Jorge. And thanks to our producers, Rafael Baldwin and Veronique Koch. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook or you can send us an email at sciencecafecito at gmail.com.